It's Tuesday the 12th of November and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, Austria charges a former army colonel with leaking secrets to Russia. We'll have analysis from our correspondent in Vienna, Alexei Kurilov. Austria's long tradition as a hotbed of international espionage continues up to the present day. Last year, the Austrian Federal Office for the Protection of the Constitution and Counter-Terrorism said the number of foreign agents in the country remained high. Plus, plans take shape in Miami for an ambitious new public park beneath an elevated metro track. And our affairs editor, Christopher Cermak, gives us a crash course in creative coalition building. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. Prosecutors in Salzburg have charged a 71-year-old former Austrian army colonel with gathering and leaking classified material to Russia. Austria claims the military man, whose name is not known, has worked with Russia's intelligence service, the GRU, since the 1990s. The case came to light a year ago and has strained diplomatic relations between the countries, though Moscow denies any knowledge of the matter. Monocle's Alexei Koryalov reports from Vienna. Wir müssen Sie darüber informieren, dass es in Österreich den Verdacht gibt, dass ein pensionierter Oberst des österreichischen Bundesheers mit einem russischen Nachrichtendienst zusammengearbeitet hat und diesen viele Jahre hindurch. That's Austrian Chancellor Sebastian Kurz addressing the nation last November. A spy had been discovered at an army facility near the city of Salzburg. The spy was an Austrian citizen, a retired colonel. He worked for the Russians. The Kremlin's response... What an unpleasant surprise, said Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. It's the first we've heard about it. This unpleasant surprise came at a bad time for Russia. Until that moment, Austria had been seen as one of Russia's few friends in the EU. And then this happened. Does that mean that the relationship is over? Well, a cynic would say that essentially espionage is just the flip side of, of normal diplomacy. It's, it's part of the integral process. And let's be perfectly honest, everyone spies on everyone else. In that context, it means that the impact on relationship between, in this case, Vienna and Moscow, is only as much as both players want it to be. Mark Gelliotti is a researcher at the Royal United Services Institute and an expert on Russian security. Austria's long tradition as a hotbed of international espionage continues up to the present day. Last year, the Austrian Federal Office for the Protection of the Constitution and Counter-Terrorism said the number of foreign agents in the country remained high. So why did it take so long to unmask the Salzburg colonel? Austria said it couldn't have done it on its own. It was tipped off by another European intelligence agency. Mark Galeotti. 25 years is actually a pretty impressive track record. It was interesting that this fellow, even after he'd retired, seemed eager to continue to be involved. But it also, I think, does say something about Austria. On the one hand, this is a country which, quite frankly, does not spend very much on its counterintelligence capabilities. There is a huge discrepancy between countries and how much they spend, and Austria is definitely on the low end. And secondly, also, 
Austria seems very keen to maintain this equipoise between Russia and the West. And if one could be uh, forgiven for thinking that, frankly, it would rather not discover Russian spies because then it has the awkward choice of what to do about them. So put all these reasons together. This is an unusual case, but it does speak to a wider issue of Austria being, frankly, something of a playground for Russian intelligence. I mean, you can hack into almost anything these days. So why bother actually recruiting people? Well, at the moment, we have a tendency to get very uh, excited by all the technological options. But when it comes down to it, there is still absolutely nothing that can beat good old fashioned, what they call human, human intelligence. You can hack an email. You can even listen to a phone conversation. But the thing about a human intelligence asset is that they are self-propelled. When they're in an office, you can have not necessarily told them what to do, but if they happen to see a, a document that they think might be of interest, then they'll, they'll run that through a photocopier or snap a picture with their camera phone. They can tell you things that you can't get from a transcript. How did the person seem when they were saying something? What's their mood? What's the gossip? All of these things you can only get from a human source. With Austria in the midst of post-election uncertainty, it is doubtful this case will be high on the agenda for Chancellor Sebastian Kurz. The Russians seem to have quietly dropped it as well. But it's not for nothing that Vienna decided to go public with it. A last word from Mark Geliossi. So really, it's a question of how much does Vienna want to make this into a big deal? And if so, is Moscow willing to play hardball back. And in a way, this, this is what makes it fascinating. We will now see, given that the Austrians have chosen to make this public, how far further are they going to go? What's worth noting is that this particular spy was working for the GRU, which is Russian military intelligence. There is also the Foreign Intelligence Service, the SVR. So they will have had their own totally separate network of agents and assets. So the interesting thing is this might put a bit of a crimp in how the GRU operates in Austria. But almost certainly there will at the same time be no impact on the SVR's activities. For Monocle in Vienna, I'm Alexei Korolov. Miami is home to the latest project inspired by New York's High Line. And thanks to a grant of more than $22 million from the US federal government, it looks set to double the length of its forerunner. Monocle's Nick Manise is here. Nick, what is the Underline? So the Underline is one of a number of projects, as you mentioned previously, that have been spun off from New York's High Line. Uh, there's projects in Sydney, the Goods Line, uh, proposals. There was a proposal for another underground one in Manhattan, but this one in Miami is also coming to life. And essentially they're taking the elevated rail, which runs from downtown Miami uh, to, a, to a station about 10 miles out of the city centre, and they're transforming this, uh, I guess, underused corridor underneath the railway tracks that has been left behind and they're turning into a parkland with playgrounds and basketball courts and dedicated cycling facilities. It's quite exciting. And I think the thing is with, with the High Line, it was such a transformational project for the city of New York that other people are looking towards it. Uh, and, and we've got these copycat projects that are starting to pop up elsewhere. And I think, I think that's incredibly exciting. And, you know, they say that good artists uh, copy, great artists steal. Uh, Miami has taken that to heart and has literally stolen the same landscape architect that designed the High Line to do the Underline. Well, Nick, often when cities build something from scratch, 
it can sometimes take time for them to catch on. Uh, sometimes I think, though, when we have older infrastructure that's sat around for a while, sitting unused, uh, a sense of mystique can form around it. Do you think there's actually a degree of value, perhaps, such as in this case, in letting something decay for a while? I, th- I think it's it's that whole thing of you, you start to realise the potential of a space and this potential of a, of a neighbourhood. And, and I think the fact that these were neglected areas and were overlooked so long is is what makes these projects so exciting. And it's what gets the community excited about it because they're like, hey, you know what? We can actually use that area that we we would just written off as a barren wasteland or something with a sketchy bike track that runs through. And we can actually make it something good. And I, and I think that's that's the beautiful part of it. it it's it's helping neighbourhoods and, and communities realise their potential, I guess, in terms of the physical built environment, which in turn can help realise potential in terms of social life and, and community areas for them to gather and spend time and play. And I, I, th- I think that's the beauty of it. Nick, as you mentioned, there have been a few copycat examples of New York's successful Highline concept. Some of them, however, seem to have gone a little bit too far. Some cities perhaps have jumped the shark when it comes to the Highline concept. Do you think sometimes we can try to cram in parks where they really just don't belong? Yes, I, I mean, I, th- I think so. I, I saw, I saw. I think the one you're perhaps alluding to is the low line in New York where they were going to turn a uh, old trolley storage facility in Manhattan into a parkland. It depends on how you want to spend your time and where you want to spend your time. And I don't know if I necessarily want to be underground with artificial light in a sort of shopping mall come park land environment. I don't know if that's how I want to spend time. But I don't blame people for getting excited and for wanting to realise the potential of, of spaces that are underused and, and and I think I think that's a good thing. I think that maybe putting a park in isn't always the ideal solution. Excellent cautionary advice from Nick Moniz there. Thank you. And finally today, Monocle's affairs editor Christopher Sermak offers a crash course in creative coalition building. El 28 de abril, el 26 de mayo y el 10 de noviembre. What is up with the global electorate? It seems everywhere you turn these days, there's another hung parliamentary election, with citizens pulled in so many different ideological directions that parties have no idea who to partner with as their coalition bedfellows. The latest example comes from Spain, where Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez's center-left party won a plurality over the weekend, but hardly a majority. The ideological stances of other parties make Sanchez's options in forming a coalition government next to impossible. It used to be that Belgium was the only Western nation stuck with the tag of being ungovernable, although it still holds the record for spending the longest time without a government. Now we can add Spain to a long list of uneasy coalitions, minority governments or stalled parliaments ranging from Israel to Italy, Canada to Britain. In many of these cases, parties are not up to the complex challenge. Instead, they're going back to the electorate and seeking a new vote that could provide some clarity. Spoiler alert, fresh elections rarely do. If you're looking for some optimism, I draw your attention to my home country of Austria. On Sunday, the Greens voted unanimously to enter into formal coalition talks with Sebastian Kurz's Conservative People's Party, whose partner in the previous government was the far-right Freedom Party. Such a left-right coalition would be a first in Austria's history if, and it's a big if, the two sides can set aside their differences and form a government. They might be odd bedfellows, but this is the hand that politicians are dealt these days. They'd better find a way to play it. 
An olive branch there from our affairs editor, Christopher Zermak. That's all in today's program. You can read and subscribe to our daily email bulletin at our website, monocle.com. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Wednesday. Thank you.